Welcome everyone to Overcome Podcast and today we have a very very special guest in the show the legendary Neil Adams uh, the voice of judo a world champion European champion Olympic medalist I mean this guy did everything Neil thank you very much for being on the show it's a, an absolute pleasure yes thank you for having absolutely, me absolutely Neil Neil uh, as a uh, uh, judo enthusiastic uh, you represent uh, a lot uh, to me personally um, uh, when I started judo I was really looking after and watching all the IJF and, and your your nar narration and, and you presenting everything is I always look at the mat which mat Neil is talking I always go to the mat that Neil is <laughs> is talking because it's, it's so it's such easier to comprehend uh, the way that you position and you present uh, the sport of judo so thank you very much for everything you do appreciate it well thank you for that i appreciate that thank you try to be as informative as possible um you know that there's different kind of forms of uh, commentary as you know and um just i think judo is it's it's not the easiest sport to understand so we try and make it as interesting as we can and i try come i try to come from the heart because that's the main thing i think that with anything that we do that it comes from the heart and uh, with feeling yes absolutely and you show and it shows that it really uh we can capture this uh you know the the change in direction and the way that you present each throw is just fantastic now, one, we, one thing that caught my attention recently, I was, uh, I follow you on Instagram, is that I think you had a, a, a shoulder surgery or something. Uh, yes. And um, you were talking about training while you're still healing. And I was very intrigued by that uh, because you were showing the bands and how can you still uh, doing some training with the bands and everything. Uh, talk more about that. Do you took some time off and then you came back or you were training even with one sling? <laughs> training even with one sling. Um, what happened was is that, um, so I always do really good pre-rehab uh, 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 pre um, as well with the injury. So I uh, develop the uh, muscles around the where it's going to be, you know, um, operated on, so that I have a good, good control. The muscles are good around it, and uh, and easier to pick up with. Um, so if I like with a shoulder injury, this um, uh, shoulder I had uh, off. One of the bands had come off, so they had to pin it back. Um, so wh whatever in injuries I've ever had. I've always looked for the kinds of training that I can still sustain uh, before I get specific on the muscle group surrounding that particular injury. So, I mean, the obvious thing, I mean, uh, I've had two hip surgeries, I've had a knee surgery, and I've had now shoulder surgery. Uh, so um, I'm almost, uh, I'm able to uh, do three-limbed, cardio work so i have versaclimber so i can do three limbed versaclimber you know so the two, two big ones which are my legs and then one arm and the other one obviously has been in a sling for three weeks uh so it's three limbed uh um versaclimber bike of course i can do and also um um any kind of cross trainer where you're um normally would use two hands uh, working as well as the big limbs you know the legs um it's just three limbs and obviously to make sure that i'm not moving the other one as well until uh the physio instructs that it's okay to start working and try to increase range of movement and then start to engage the injured or, or the muscles surrounding the injured part and um, which I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm doing some really light exercises to get range of movement from my shoulder. But uh, almost from the day after I, my injury, my uh, operation, sorry, uh, almost the day after I was still doing cardio work and uh, so still able to do 30, 40 minutes cardio uh, a day and uh, specific exercises 
on the other side, the, the good side, but I had to be careful. And um, the rehab physios told me that uh, you have to be careful that you don't get a misbalance mm. because if you're just exercising one side, you know, the cardio's are fine. That's just one big heart muscle in the middle there. And uh, obviously the legs and the rest of the body come into play. But when it comes to any kind of weight training, um, it's no good having one big one side that's really big and then the other one where you've got wastage. Um, so I've managed to kind of maintain with really light band work now. I'm just starting to increase the band work on the injured shoulder and uh, just to increase the range of movement. So I've managed to do that and uh, without too much uh, wastage. So that's a good but thing. Were you able um, to do any I type of huchikomi? And uchikomi I can do because uh, when, when I'm, um, I go left and right, so any kind of turn-ins, you know, that I do this way on uh, my pulling hand, I can do uh, with, um, with good uh, kazushi and a good uh, movement on the sleeve side. And then if I switch sides, then this, uh, which is my suruti hand or my uh, control hand or lapel hand, I can do on the other side. So I've managed to do... Uh, even amount on, on both sides, even though this arm has been um, strapped up. Wow, that's amazing! And and you you start I, use, you you demonstrate also the bands because you have uh, the the band work that you do yeah. with Jacomis, right? Yeah. Um, it, yes, I can. Uh, I'll I'll do some and I'll send th some through to you so you can see how I adapted it. Um, it's um, actually. Uh, some of the early training that we did with the, with the Uchikomi were with one hand in, in belt to enable that we had really good posture when we uh, rotated round uh, because it's quite easy sometimes that if your hands are not correct that um, it pulls the technique out of shape and um, so a lot of the Japanese teachings are with one hand uh, in so that you get used to using uh, the lapel hand in the right way. So it's just back to the basics, really. And my fundamental principles, how I learned to do good, um, uh, good uchikomi and good repetition work. Yeah, that's amazing. And, but back in the day when you were training, were you already incorporating those those type of things when it comes to bands or bands is something more than new that people start to incorporate now no no i always did bands um but a lot of people use too heavy bands and uh, of course back in you know go about 30 40 years people oh you know i i i used um uh, bicycle inner tubes and things like this and uh, bicycle inner tubes are just not the right thing to use because they have too much resistance they pull the technique out of shape they pull you out of shape and off balance. Uh, so you need a, a band that is able to stretch and not too easily, but not too strong. If it's too strong, it will pull the technique out of balance. So um, it has to be the, the right length and the right resistance. And uh, our bands, um, our particular bands, have the uh, judo uh, jacket on the end so that you can practice the right movements with the hands, whether it's kazushi or whether it's uh, suruti with the lapel hand. So everything working together. And um, I always used to do a lot of uchikomi and repetition work with the bands because I couldn't always, I didn't always have a partner. Although later when I uh, was training for Olympic Games, I always had a really good partner. But sometimes if I was for warm up, I would use them as well. So I always had them uh, in my kit bag and I was always use them just and make sure that it was good repetition, not, not poor repetition, you know, because uh, a lot of people unfortunately can't use the bands properly and um, there, there's good instruction I mean we've got a 45 minute instruction uh, with every set of bands that we do because I thought that that was just as important as having the bands themselves just to show the aims and and the main reasons for using the bands and uh, they are to get the correct shape and the correct balance 
uh, because there's a there's um there's a good off balance and there's a bad off balance. Mm -hmm. yep. And if you get a bad off balance, then you, your your technique won't work. If you get good off balance towards the direction that you want to go, that's that's where where you need it. And so getting good off balance uh, is is important. And there is um, any specific type of throw that you do more often with the bands, like Tayatoshi is one that I've seen very common, but there are other types of throws that uh, works with the bands? Yeah, of course, and, and you can do sodis, which are going upwards. Sodi means left pull. You know, you've got sodi, uh, uh, which is a massive one. Sianagis, uh, siatosh. You've got sianagi. Uh, sorry, tayatoshi. Uh, different siatoshi and, and tayatoshi are different movements. Siatoshi goes downwards in trajectory. Uh, sianagis tend to be more upwards in trajectory and standing. Um, and um, and then, of course, uh, the heavier bands are very good because we have uh, a way of doing uchikomi with coaches, ouchigaris, uh, to the back. And that's by facing outwards from the bands. Oh, okay. uh, again, I'll put that as part of what, what I send you through. I'll send you a, uh, uh, an example so you can just have a look at it. Amazing. Uh, Neil. With all your experience, uh, having seen so many athletes over the years, do you see judo nowadays, um, the athleticism of judo, much bigger than it was in the past? Um, because it, it sometimes it feels like there is so much more explosion and strength. And you see those athletes training, doing heavy weight training like really heavy weight training. So do you feel that uh, this was like an evolution when you compare the athletes from the past, uh, even back in the day with Flavio, you know, uh, it feels like it was more technical than more than in less strength. Do you, do you agree with that? I think that it's uh, with some people have kind of lost the way. I, I think if you have a look at who's superior still, um, and it's the Japanese, you know, and, and that's all about technique. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of them guys are strong as well. I mean, Ono is super strong. You know, some of the, the guys are doing weight training. They, they, you know, they never used to. They just used to do judo all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the difference is <clears throat> the uh, kinds of kind of training that they're able to do is uh, just judo loaded, you know, so they do. Um, there's nothing better for judo than judo nothing and it doesn't matter what amount of weight training you do all right if you can do 20 really good um uh loaded randery uh, practices a day that's going to be better than doing any amount of weight training uh, i think one of the reasons that we do rate weight training and i did a certain amount of weight training but at certain times throughout my training schedule uh, I think that it's to enhance power, but I think that once you start to feel stiff, I mean, you you have a look at the uh, depth of judoka that the Japanese have still got, and um, it, it all comes back down to the fact that there's no substitute for judo, for judo. Yeah. And it's the same in jiu-jitsu, if you think about it now, you know, why, why, why did jiu-jitsu have an uh, uh, such a, uh, an improvement and an explosion onto the world other than the great marketing that's gone on obviously but i don't mean that i mean the level of the newaza and the groundwork that has come is phenomenal but as jiu-jitsu exponents they'll tell you that it's downtown of the uh, of the technique you know they 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 study the intricate detail of the technique so that they can have an advantage over the next guy you know and also they're able to go on and it's a you know because it's physical contact and any physical contact sport has to be the hardest sport in the world you know it is the hardest sport once you lock on to somebody it's the hardest physical contact sport, you know, and I think that um, there, there's no substitute, no amount of weight training or circuit training is going to enable you to be able to sustain those 
well, I mean, in my day, it was five and seven minutes. Seven minutes it started with, then it went to five. Now it's four minutes. But, um, you know, you, um, I started doing some randery uh, about oh, a year and a half, two years ago with one of my students. And uh, I hadn't randered properly, you know, for, I hadn't randered properly, probably for about, oh, I don't know, 10 years. Not, not really strongly, you know, so uh, we built up um, and uh, he comes in and we go in privately into the Tojo. And uh, within six weeks, I, I was able to do eight, four minutes comfortably. You know, I, I built it up. First session, I was breathing through my backside within two and a half minutes. You know, I just, and I train every day. I do a lot of running. I do a lot, you know, I do a lot of um, cross training. I do a lot of uh, uh, concept two and I do, uh, you know, my circuit still, you know, I, I mean, I'm a 60 year old man, you know, but I mean, that's different now, but, but uh, I was still able to build it up, you know, and actually that randery uh, enabled me to build uh, judo related um, condition. Yeah, it, 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 it just shows that you can have the best condition. You can run, you can have a great cardio, but when it comes to randori time, is a whole different beast. Because as you said, in yeah. two minutes, you were like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dying here, right? So it took you. I was dying. Yeah. I, 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 re I was dying because I just had no. Uh, I wasn't. A, I was uncoordinated. My timing was off. And so I was having to work that much harder at trying to catch up. Uh, as my timing came back, which came back quite quickly, actually, surprisingly, even at my age, uh, and I have a really good uke. My partner is really good. I mean, he's he knows I'm 60-odd, so he's really good to me, you know, so he doesn't go crazy. It's not world war in there. But uh, so we really do randery together, and it, it's... Um, and it's wonderful because uh, once my timing came back, uh, I was able to switch and uh, I was able to uh, lock in to a different um, condition. And uh, that was amazing. And, I, you know, you said, has it kind of evolved uh, more physical work? Yeah. You know, I mean, you get people like Rene is physical. You know, he, he's seven foot tall mm -hmm. and built like, Garth, you know, he's he's yeah. built like a real he's a real athlete, you know, and uh, so super strong, but he's also super good as well, you know. It's it's it, it the skill level is very high, and um, I think that when you see the weights guys, and we they, we've got a couple of Germans at the moment that are super, you know, if you see them without a jacket on, you think they were unbeatable. But of course, you know, when, when that kind of power, it's sometimes it's the wrong kind of power, you know, and uh, it, it doesn't last, you know, when, when you get, you know, we get a lot of the Eastern block as well, you know, they come out, they're super strong. You can see that physically they're a nightmare to fight, but um, sometimes three, three minutes in and, and you see it fade, you know, the, the power, not able to sustain that power for the full four minutes. Yeah, you see, you see so this. You see this a lot also on uh, uh, the Georgians, um, mainly because the, their yeah. school is so different. They like to hug more, so they do use a lot yeah. of power. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. That's a prime example, you know. And I know all those guys. You know, they're they're massive. I mean, they're such nice guys as well. All right, but they're super athletes. And they are absolutely, you know, I mean, you wouldn't want them coming over the trenches to you because they are fighters, you know, they are really from a fighting background. I mean, 3.1 million people in, in, um, in Georgia, you know, most of them uh, training for judo are in Tbilisi. And these guys, um, yeah, I mean, they like to get up close. They like to, uh, you know, their wrestling kind of, background kind of kicks in i mean they go into the mountains and 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 pull them out of the wrestling schools and i'm talking about little villages up in the uh, mountains outside tbilisi and um and um they go there and they're practicing in this little ring uh, of sawdust ring 
and they pull them out into Tbilisi and they train them to be they they become judo champions it's a, it's an amazing story yeah, it is it is it is a great school and uh, i think that the japanese are having to adapt a lot to play their games because they hug a lot and and recently i saw some japanese huggings as well I was like wow they are cha they are even changing their game <laughs> they are adding and adapting and you know that is amazing because some of them and there are quite a few of them now starting to do really good pickups really good ones and you know so when it gets close they they're able to to operate you know and uh, and i said to my wife uh nikki who's also a, a former olympian for judo and i said you know one of the things that i never trained much for was uh some of the big counter techniques and um i don't know really why i i just tried not to be in those kind of situations you know where i was really close and i remember one of the first times that i fought a mongolian uh just um at the world championships uh when the, the same world championships that i won and um i remember getting hold of um uh, davidelli i just saw him uh, last week actually he came up to say hello and uh he was about, he's about eight years older than me and uh i remember first hooking up with him and immediately my arms went out straight and i thought i i just didn't want to be close to him you know because i felt the danger you know immediate danger and uh they they like it they like the closeness you know and i, I didn't like that at all i liked a bit of distance yeah yeah it, it's also about the school right as you said the, the, this school is more wrestling based in Mongolian also, um, um, they are very close. They have the, those front uchimara that they hug and throw you the other way. It's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. Well, I mean, look how some of the techniques have evolved. Um, I mean, rules always dictate development. So, you know, like some people objected that, that, that no more leg grabs. I think more more the wrestlers and more the people that couldn't do traditional upright judo were the ones that were complaining about no leg grabs. But it got to a degree where it was very bent over judo and actually uh, it was the IOC that uh, came to International Judo Federation and said, this looks like um, they, they were looking at either wrestling or judo to take them out the Olympics. And uh, they said it looks very, very similar, you know, so um, you need to get some kind of identity that uh, identifies judo that's separate to wrestling. And uh, so that was what kind of, that, that's where it came from. And they said, all right, so um, traditional judo was more upright, standing and defending from an upright position, not bent over. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in 1990, when, uh, you know, the breakup of the Soviet Union, all the different Russian states that came in and the wrestling styles that were introduced, it kind of went, you know, there were a lot of leg grabbers coming into the sport. Anyway, so, they, they, you know, it's, it's changed now. I mean, there's a new generation of, of youngsters that don't know what leg grabs are. Yeah. And I'm glad about that. Yeah, no, Personally, I... I, I'm glad too because I, I feel like it's way more clean now. Uh, it's more aesthetic, beautiful to see. We do have legs grabs in jiu-jitsu, uh, but in judo, I think that it just it, it is way more clean now than than with the leg grab. Yeah, and I, I think also you know a lot of people they forgot that uh, a, a massive defense is with the hips huge defenses with the hips and an upright position and and uh, that the, those teachings went you know because if you go into a what we call a jigatai position which is uh, you know then it's a different defense totally different yeah talking you about, can't defend the hips if they're out yeah talking about uh, up upright position it reminds me of hashimoto i never seen a guy so upright <laughs> fighting like him he's yeah. he is so his posture is so intense yeah, and, and it's about body position, you know. So if you're going to attack me, if, I, if I'm if i a target for you to hit, then you're going to throw me, you know. But if, I, if I'm if i slightly off and, and the target is not quite there or, you know, so body position and movement uh, is imperative. And But, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you said about uh, the adjustment. 
I mean, the great thing about judo and uh, making a technique work in judo, it's all about readjustment of balance, of direction, of movement. And if you see some of the biggest throwers in the world now, especially the ones that are having to win again and again, all right, so people look at them and they study them. And so they go, right, I, I'm, I'm going to stop that particular movement and I'm going to, you know, I know what he does, but then they change, you know, and being able to adapt and readjust your body movement and balance is, is absolutely key to making it work, you know, yeah. and if you see the big throwers, sometimes they'll hit once and it hasn't quite hit properly, but then the second and third time they make the readjustment and they make it work. Yeah, I mean, Teddy, even Teddy, uh, so dominant, he always did the high goshi and everything. But recently, he has done a lot of sumigaishi, too, uh, because yeah. he, he see that people yes. are bending over. It's like, okay, I'm going to get the sumi now. Yeah, and uh, I, I was talking to him straight after the world. He said, you know, he, that worked for him once in the world championships. So they're watching that, you know, the, the, the Sumigeshi, you know, but he wants to stand up. He said to me, he said, I, I said, what do you want now? What's what, what you've got 12 months till the Olympic games. What do you want? And he said, I want to win by stand up judo again, you know, and um, <laughs> of course it's more and more difficult for him. You know, this is a great champion that's been there a long, long time and everybody would like to see it end in the right way. Yeah. You know, but it, it doesn't always go that way. And, and, you know, now he's got a major contender with Tezeev, you know, who, who really knows he could beat him, you know. And uh, and I, I, I think that it's going to be difficult for him for the Olympics, you know. But, uh, I mean, wow. You know, what can you say about, you know, being on top of the world for that long? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's amazing. And, and that brings me to another question, because you were talking about if you want to get better judo, do judo. But... How do you preserve yourself when it comes to recovery and avoiding injury? Because if you think about, if you run Dory every day, it takes a toll on your body, right? Uh, how, how do you yeah. balance that? How do you balance, you know, this, the, the run Dory sessions and the Uchikomis in such a way that you continue to evolve, but you, you are preserving and avoiding injury? I think that um, there's always danger of injury. I, I think that... <clears throat> training too much out of weight is one way that you can get injured you know so sometimes i mean we used to have open weight competitions you know where middleweights could fight you know heavier weights and uh, you know the open weight competition is a favorite one of the japanese i mean that's one way of getting in injured um i think not being warmed up properly is is a key aspect of you know a lot of injuries and also i think not being physically prepared for the job and i think that um and that's why when when you're recuperating or recovering from injury you know it was it's always um a motivation for me if i have a, an operation because it means that i can really focus on that particular injury And also, you know, it gives me a kind of a motivation, you know, at my age to get back in a bit, bit of conditioning and to be um, disciplined. And I think that um, if you think of five-a-side footballers, soccer players, 50-year-old five-a-side soccer players that do it once a week, mm -hmm. right? And then they, they're always injured, right? They're always injured. And the reason they're always injured And part-time judo players, always injured, always doing their knees or their back or something goes, right? And part of the reason is that they're not prepared for the job, you know, and it is the hardest physical, you know, like, so for me, for example, to start my randori again, I could have easily gone in there and got injured yeah. very easily. If I'd have tried to do what I did 25 years ago, I would have got injured. So I had to build it up and I have to build the muscle groups up that are going to support my knees. So, you know, my quads have got to be good uh, for the rotation. And if they're not good, I'm going to pull my knees. I'm going to do something. And uh, actually, uh, my rotator cuff 
probably wasn't as uh, built up. So I obviously, I went back too far with the arm and something just pulled, you know? So again, it's not being in the best of condition for something that, you know, that all of a sudden has uh, a resistance to it. And um, I think that that's one of the problems that, you know, you see a lot of part-time judoka they're always bandaged up and they're, they're always you know they've always got an ailment of some kind but i i think that uh, you can train you know and you've got to do uh, you've got to prepare to be able to do the load and if you don't prepare to do the load then you're going to get injured when you without a doubt. when you were preparing like for for the world championship were you training every single day or you or you did you take some days Most. off took some uh, I, I trained on a five and a half day week so five and a half went uh, to uh, so uh, my my day always started on a Sunday uh, so that was the first day of my week and the reason I did that was so that if I did come into a competition week I could still get four days training so my preparation was good all right so I always had really good preparation and I was always well conditioned and I worked really hard. So I was able to train quite close to the actual event itself, but I always needed a day and a half full recovery. So I always trained for that. So actually my week, uh, I trained Saturday morning and I'd always have Saturday afternoon and Sunday uh, or, or one and a half days all right, off. I think it wasn't Saturday, it was Friday afternoon and a Saturday off completely unless i was in competition and that's the way i used to work it and then start again sunday and oh and all those days that you were training were doing randori every day uh yeah i um so i'd have certain training camps that i would do where i would aim for 50 to 60 uh full randories for the week so my main aim at training camps And when I went to Japan, so when I went to Japan to train for a month, my main aim was to try and get 70 randories in Japan a week. Uh, so I, I totally overload randories. But I had to be prepared uh, before I went to Japan. Otherwise, I get injured in the first week. Yeah. All right. So I always uh, uh, built up, built up. So that when I went to Japan, I was able to sustain 70 randerers. Were you always... If I was... Were, sorry, go on. Were you always... Uh, because you used to, to compete on 71 and then you went to 78, right? Yes. Uh, so yes. were you always uh, walking on the 71 kilos or were you, were you were cutting as well? No, I went through. I So when I was coming, I came through... So the problem was that uh, for 80 games, 80-81, uh, I was halfway and in between the weight categories. So what happened was in 1980, I, for every weight category, every event, including the European Championships, at the higher weight. And then the Olympic Games, uh, I was seeded from the previous World Championships. This is the way it worked then. I was seeded in the Olympics at the lower weight category. So looking back now, I, I, uh, I dropped the weight. I dropped four and a half kilos and I came back down. So I test I lost that year was the final of the Olympic games. And I lost it on a, on a split decision hand tie. And that was the only contest I lost. And uh, everybody in, who won the Olympic uh, medals uh, at the higher weight, I beat in the European Championships. Wow. So it was a bit of, you know, so when I look back, you know, on reflection, probably made the wrong decision. And then after the Olympics, I went up to the weight, you know, to, to, to the higher weight, and then I won the World Championships. So. But it was it was a long decision. Did probably. you felt? Did you feel much better uh, on the seventy eight? Uh, just uh, stronger, and you know, I was 
uh, I didn't have far to go to get up to the 78s. Uh, like within six months when I decided that that was it, um, I was 78 kilos, you know, I was smack on the weight. And, uh, and then a, a year later, I was a kilo more, but I never went more than a kilo over, never. Yeah. But in, in 71 kilograms, uh, at one stage, I was five kilos of naturally, you know. So, I mean, I was training really well, and um, and my diet was not very good at the uh, early stages. Like, um, when I was 19, 20, I'd say my diet was my biggest enemy, really. Mm. We didn't have the nutritional um, expertise. It's not an excuse, but uh, we didn't have the nutritional uh, expertise and, you know, um, it wasn't as accessible as it is now. You couldn't go online, you know, there to see how to prepare and lose weight. And, you know, when I look back, um, that's that part of my competition um, was my, my diet was appalling, really. And I, I bet you that nowadays is something that you prioritize more than anything else, right? Because you, you are in a good shape and diet is, uh, is the key for that. Yes. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's true that it doesn't matter how much you work, especially as we get older, you know, that you cannot out-train a, 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 a bad diet. No, you just can't do it. You know, you've heard it. I mean, but it's absolutely true. You can't, you know. So I'm really careful. I mean, I, I you know, sometimes cheat a little bit, but I have good food and, uh, you know, it's uh, and I eat at the right times and I try not to go past seven o'clock you know, with, uh, with food and uh, just try and stay in shape. Yeah, yeah. no, you, you are in great shape. I've seen you training and recording some videos um, and, and to demonstrate all that you need to be in shape. You, one thing that I'd like to ask is because you're still teaching, you still have students and everything. Um, what would be your advice for someone that is starting judo after 40s? Because... At, le at least here in the U.S., there is a lot of people that are studying judo after 40s, uh, and, and including myself. I started late. Uh, I started with 44, 43 actually, and uh, it, I felt that was way harder in my body than jiu-jitsu because jiu-jitsu is niwaza. There is not a lot of, you know, falls and everything, and, and I think that it, it took a toll for me to get used to all those falls. What would be your yeah. advice uh, for master athletes that are trying to join this sport after 40s? I would say that find a good club. That's one of the main things, right? And a good instructor. And I, I mean, it's an instructor that's not necessarily about just getting people to randori all the time. It has to be a balance uh, because technically we can improve all the time. I mean, I still learn you know, I mean, some of the different things that are coming out now, I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, I like that, you know, and a, a Monday night I'm there and I'm trying it and, I, you know, I, still experimenting. And, uh, you know, it's amazing uh, from a skills perspective that you can always learn. And I think that the greater the skills base, the more enjoyment you will get. Same with you. You know, I mean, you, you've come into it, you know, and if it's just about going in there and, and having a tussle, I mean, you can do your jiu-jitsu and it's it's uh, a little bit, you know, uh, safer in the Newaza position. You know, that's why, you know, like you say, it's the falls, you know, and if you fall badly by somebody who can't throw properly, uh, it, it tends to put you off and also you might get injured. So I would say that um, somebody who really understands skills acquisition, good coach, good trained, somebody who, who knows about getting the balance. Because once you've got a good skills uh, set, then you get so much more out of it. I mean, you, you must know now that, you know, if you catch somebody with a foot sweep or you catch somebody with a nice throw, there's nothing like it you know it's it's like catching somebody with a juji and or you know it's you you uh, you lead them into a trap and and then you catch them neatly you know it's like chess it, it's it's exactly the same and um 
if you get your timing right through good teaching, you will progress and enjoy the sport so much more. I mean, if I was doing any sport, I've changed my kids' sports. Uh, not the sports, I've changed their clubs two or three times to find the right teacher. And, uh, you know, one time my, my son was at a rugby club and my daughter as well, I took her out of her first rugby club. And I, you know, obviously I'm a bit critical when it comes to good coaching, you know, but I could see that it wasn't, the, it wasn't what I wanted for them, you know, and then found a good club, you know, with somebody who took time to teach. And it wasn't always about just winning the game, mm -hmm. you know, especially with youngsters. But at our age, we want to be able to succeed. You know, you want to be able to, understand what an ashy was or is yeah. understand how to execute it and to be able to get the timing right to be able to do it because believe me if you catch somebody with a, a really sweet ashy was you want it again it's amazing yeah and, and it's also that principle of the uh, least effort uh, which is something that is beautiful when it works because you got the timing right you got the movement right um yeah. and and this is usually what I'm aiming for is a throw that I can use the least amount of strength uh, because I, I have yeah. the strength, but I don't want to use the strength. I want to use the technique, you know? Yeah, yeah of course. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is, uh, as we said earlier, make sure you have a good, a, a little bit of a base foundation condition wise, you know, don't, don't just go in there and otherwise, you know, the first rounder in, You'll do what I did back in there, you know, just and uh, start breathing, you know, sucking dust off the rafters. <laughs> so I just, you know, and I think that, you know, if I'm doing that, then, you know, somebody who's 45 years of age coming in will get the shock of their lives. So it's about uh, just having a, a reasonable base so you're not going to get injured. Yeah. Good technical teaching, and then you'll get so much out of it, so much more. Now, do you also agree that the learning curve to judo uh, is way steeper than jiu-jitsu? And I, the reason I say that is because in jiu-jitsu, I feel like I progress faster than in judo. And I think it's because it takes so much time to perfect each throw that is just like forever. I mean, you, you train years and years to make one throw work perfectly, right? I think that, you know, the um, throwing is a different skill, isn't it? And it is a totally different thing. If you're propelling, you know, uh, f 10, 12, oh, if you're propelling 150 kilos, 200 kilos through the air, you, it, it needs to be technically correct. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you, you're going to get injured. And I, I think that, that that is hard and the, the different direct, but I think this is a totally different skill. And, you know, I'm equally, I am 50%. Uh, and I, I like to say that I'm 50% because I had a, a biggest lesson of, you know, uh, handed to me uh, back when I was 18, 19, um, you know, which made me go 50% Newaza groundwork, 50% Tachiwaza. All right, so I tried to win as equally on the ground, you know, and, and actually the ground got me, <clears throat> won me the world title, you know, and uh, I often went to ground more than I did standing if, uh, if I felt danger. The Mongolian, for example, that I told you about, I went straight to ground <laughs> with him, you know, immediately, you know, no, I wasn't gonna stand up with him. And um, so I think that, you know, the skills that you can learn and the intricate skills that you can learn in, in on the ground are equal i i just think it's the 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 thing is with judo is we need both yeah but some obviously prefer <coughs> excuse me some obviously prefer the standing and some prefer more groundwork but you know we start standing and actually we have three different ways that we can win on on the ground you know more ways of winning on the ground uh, in judo uh on the ground than there is standing although there's a lot of different throws that we can use but you know it's um uh it's something that um i think that uh 
is individual. I mean, I, I just, I can't believe some of the stuff I see, jujitsu stuff that I see and where they've taken it. And, uh, you know, even with my stuff, some of my stuff, uh, I just think it's it's phenomenal. You know, I just, I, I'm in awe really. You know, I just think it's amazing. Yeah. And I like to think that that's what we're doing with the uh, with the standing as well with the judo, because you know you see, I, I, every week I, I'm uh, part of almost every match for Olympic qualification because I'm commentating almost every match. So I see it kind of changing, you know. And I think even I'm thinking, where did that come from? That's amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. That's amazing. And it's a small change or a small twitch or, a, uh, you know, a, a, an intricate little, uh, you know, a change of direction. Yeah. Love yeah it. But uh, uh, one thing that I've also noticed there is that there are a lot of more cross training taking place. I've seen a, a video of the Japanese doing jiu-jitsu cross training. Abiuta doing jiu-jitsu yeah. with, uh, with a jiu-jitsu professor. And uh, they were focused only on groundwork for the entire training. So there is a lot of cross training taking place. And I think that's amazing. You know, I mean, if I, I, I would, I was saying to Ray Stevens, a, a really good friend of mine, uh, he was one of my training partners for two Olympics. And uh, I said to Ray, I said, because he's, he's got a jiu-jitsu and judo club. Uh, with Roger, he's, I think he's, uh, he's um, one of his clubs is with Roger Gracie. And uh, anyway, I said to him, we would have just, we would have jujitsued it to death for some of our extra, we would have, I know I would have. And uh, I would have, uh, as part of my training, but I would have uh, made sure, because I've seen some of the judo guys uh, lose uh, certain opportunities uh, on the ground. You know, they're strong in their waza if they've got time, but, in judo terms, we haven't got time. We don't have time. We have a split second to to catch the move and to go. It's 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 like um, it's like 2020 cricket, you know, where you're you 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 have to go. It's a different game than yeah. test cricket because it's faster, and uh, it's a different game. And uh, so I'd have to relate it back to the uh, the time scale that I have in judo which I would would have done but I you know my condition definitely judo condition and jiu-jitsu condition I would have jiu-jitsu it to death yeah I would have. although I've seen recently in 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 some of the tournaments that uh, the referees are being given more time to Niwaza did you observe that yeah. too I, I've seen that yeah well I was one of the ones that f pushed that through I mean because it came to a stage where uh, the referees were almost immediately standing people up, and uh, now it's gone the other way. In as that, if it's if it's uh, progressive, mm -hmm. they'll let it carry on. So if they think it's going to end, even if it goes outside the area, they'll let it carry on. I, I love it. I, I think it was a great change. Me too. Great change. And uh, it gives you time then to build, you know, because. Um, once you've caught the the actual move, it's about keeping it strong and and well, as you know, I'm talking to you. I'm I'm not teaching you to suck eggs. You know, like in the jujitsu terms, you have time to build and 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 then to you know to uh, to work the move and you know uh, you've got time to develop it. But uh, in judo terms, we haven't got so much time. But we've got a, a lot more time than we have, we've had for a long time. So that can only be good for yeah. us. Nowadays you have, I've seen more submissions, uh, not only pin, but submissions. Yeah. And, and, you know, at one stage, you know, some of the coaches that we were trying, you know, because nobody was teaching the Newaza, you know, the groundwork. And so, uh, and one of the coaches said to me, he said, what's the point if you haven't got time to do it? So the only way to change that uh, development was through the rules. Yeah. So once uh, they had more time, then they the coaches teach it, and they do. It's about developing the the technique, and having a plan like with us. Certainly with me was having a plan A, B, C, D, and E. You know, to, like so one door closes, another one opens, and you know I always used to keep it tight and strong. 
um, uh, because I didn't, I never wanted to let it go. But I always was made sure that the referee could see that I was being progressive. Yeah, but you you said something uh, recently when you were organizing that seminar with uh, Flavio that uh, unfortunately didn't happen. You were talking yeah. about the importance of the transition from Tachuaza to Newaza, right? So it's yes. not only the groundwork, but the transition. The transition, uh, I mean, for us, it, it's, you know, obviously the two parts. The bit in the middle there, the um, the uh, transition, is the uh, part that many, many don't train. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, obviously we're talking about the top guys, they do. The ones that are catching and, you know, really important. I mean, for me, the transition, even 35 years ago, the transition was as important as the, the groundwork because otherwise I couldn't catch it, you know. So if somebody went down uh, in practice, no matter where the practice was, I would always follow it down, always. And I would always tell the partner that I was uh, training with, because obviously sometimes they split the, the randery standing work and then they'll have a certain amount of groundwork And I could never understand that. I mean, for me, uh, it was, we needed equal amount of, you know, from standing down to ground, you know, and the, the, the only reason a lot of clubs don't do that is because of space, people landing on mm -hmm. you and stuff like that when you're on the ground. Uh, but it, you just split the class and it, that transition was imperative for me. So I always transitioned, no matter whether anybody wanted me to do it or not, I always transitioned. <laughs> And I'd always tell them I was going to do it. So I said, you can defend yourself because I'm going to transition. Yeah. And it was not necessarily for long periods, but just to catch the, the move and start, you know, but, but the transition. Catch yeah, because you have to, your body needs to get used to those scenarios. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it needs to get used to it. And you, you need uh, it. It's um, muscle memory, you know, without a doubt. Yeah. Muscle memory. Neil, um, It was amazing to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's, uh, it's late in, in UK. It's still noon here in Texas, but uh, you took the time to talk about uh, Judo, about your experience. Uh, I highly appreciate Thank you so much. And thanks for everything you do for Judo, for being this, uh, this voice and, and educating everyone in Judo. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, just say hello to all my friends over there and <laughs> and I'm talking about all my jiu-jitsu and all my judo friends, you know, it's equally. And it's been a pleasure, you know, thanks for having me on your show. Thank you, Neil, thank you very much. All right, everyone, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you very much. Bye.